Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners, and welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. I am so excited uh, for today's guest. I think I, I start every session saying I'm so excited, and it's because we're bringing you guys some really amazing women. So this is by no means an exception. Lakeitha is going to raise the game for us today. Welcome, Lakeitha Nicole of For Us, the Agency. How are you, Lakeitha? I'm doing great today. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I know I say that as well all the time, but I'm always excited. So I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And you and I had a really engaging and really rich conversation that uh, made it into our family's dinner discussion. So I'm excited uh, for us to unpack some things together. But first, before we get to all the goodness you're going to share with us, give us a little background on what is for us the agency. Yeah, so for us, the agency is a PR and consulting agency based out of Nashville. We work with Black brands and talent, so public relations, consulting, and in the consulting part, it could be brand development, brand management, PR, and marketing. And I always say, to sum it up, the goal is that people get to experience um, Black culture through Mm -hmm. Black people. So that can go in so many ways. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to I want to get into that more with you. But first, let's just get a little bit more of your sort of professional background. Did you always know that you wanted to be a publicist? No, I had no idea (laughs) what a publicist was. It's so crazy. (laughs) And I think we talked about that was I was a design major, fashion design major, and I got to go to New York Fashion Week, which was a dream. And I went to cover for a blog and I got to go, you know, behind the scenes, go to different events. And I was like, wow, I want to be the person who put these two events together and help set up all these interviews and stuff. I didn't know what it looked like. So I went back to college and I was like, changing my major to merchandise. I don't know quite what I'm going to do. And my advisor was like, you're crazy. You're about to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, so I had no idea what public relations was until about maybe 10 years ago when I was introduced to it. I was actually doing the work. It had no idea I was doing public hmm. relations. There you go. And it's evolved so much since then, right? In the 10 years, of yes. thanks to social media, what public relations was when I was in college, never mind 10 years ago when you were in college, has changed quite a bit. And it continues to evolve. And I think it 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 has become more multi-layered. It's, it's not just, not that I don't want to say just because I don't want to diminish those people who did this work really well, but writing a release and getting it into the hands of print publishers. It, there are bloggers, there are influencers, there's print and digital and the distinction between those things. And it's it's altogether a different ballgame. Yeah, I always feel like 
once I really master an area that I'm learning about in public relations, here comes another part. Here comes something yeah. new. And technology and social media has just really changed the way public relations work. Um, I was researching about a year ago about public relations and some of the agencies that were closing. And it was just the whole pivoting thing of like, no longer am I just the person who's handling press for you, but I'm, I'm doing social media. Mm. Am helping with sales. I am doing the branding, and it's just become more multifaceted. Yeah, I feel like it, you need a new moniker of like communications director. You know, it's like you're managing all that outfacing part of of a brand. It's a lot. It's a lot. the The current audience that you're serving, um, as you mentioned earlier, is focused on black owned brands. Was that always the case when you first started? No, when I first started, I was working with any brand that needed someone to do some work. <laughs> yeah. Which is how we all start, if we're honest. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was pretty much, you know, working with, you know, um, different brands, um, different races. So it wasn't just Black. The reason why I did decide to kind of focus more is because we had the less resources. We had the less network to push forward. And I really wanted to see, you know, it was... It was kind of a heartbreaking thing that I kind of got mm. into it. I was like, I wanted to see us do more. And as I was working with different fashion weeks, and it just seemed to be like every time a Black brand was to come to present to try to get into the fashion weeks, they didn't have much stuff. They didn't have a bunch of samples. They didn't have the resources to put on big extravagant shows. Mm. And really wasn't a lot of organizations, especially a lot of organizations now is out, but it wasn't a lot of organizations working to make sure that the Black community and talent from there was getting the resources and getting the skills and network that they needed. So it was more one of those things where I was just, as my passion grew in the industry, fashion, beauty, lifestyle, and then also public relations, my passion grew to see, you know, my community to be able to be a part of something I loved. I love that. And this was long before COVID. I just want to mention to everybody that this long was not a, yeah, this was not <laughs> I, I say COVID, that's not fair. This was long before 2020. And the recent more racial uprising reckoning that I think has come to us this year in a way that we can't ignore, I hope. I hope. So, you know, this series, this this particular season is about pivoting. And one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you, even though you didn't pivot in that way this year, it's because a lot of your work, a lot of the brands that you represent and work with are having to go through that pivoting process or the information that you have and hold for so many brands who are trying to figure out how to pivot, not because the pandemic did damage to their business, like the lack of, you know, the shutdown did uh, damage to their business, although many people have been impacted by that. But because this year of sort of, I hope we can call it racial awakening, has has brought to many brands' attention this deep need for something beyond the well-meaning, but the initial excitement that was brought to us, you know, via Instagram, that some of these people are trying to make deep and meaningful changes. And so I wanted as we go into the new year, I wanted our listeners to hear from you because you have such a fascinating, to me, 
perspective. I made some assumptions. And when we had our phone call, I was like, oh, Lakeithia, I hadn't thought about that. And I want people to hear that. But I also just want them to know that this is part of this pivot series because I'm hoping they learn from you for their their own internal pivots. Um, Was there something that for you, 2020, either elevated or caused you to rethink your own offering as as a business? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It actually was a lot. (laughs) Mm. And I think just being a Black-owned brand, people think with everything that happened, it was like, oh, you're in a... That's one thing people kept saying to me. It was like, you're in a good position Mm. Um, when it comes to press. You're in a good position when it comes to the influencers you work with. But we were never in a good position. I can give you so many examples of how things were still handled wrong. But with us, uh, one of the things we had to do was the biggest pivoting was how we reached our audience. And I think that was for, I mean, a lot of brands, the way we reached our audience, you know, we had so many brands that we were working with that was, you know, had launches about to happen that had opportunities that Mm. they've never, had you know I had a client who was just getting her products at the airport Nashville biggest airport and all of that left in a month Mm. those movies were gone in a month and you're talking about a disproportionate group of people who already don't have the funds to Mm. to say oh I'll just I'll just figure out what to do it was a very kind of like a rush moment of like we have to pivot and we have to pivot now because our business has to stay afloat. I don't have and anything. Lakeithia, just for clarity, because I don't want to uh, conflate these two things. Uh, those pivots were a result of the economic change and the economic shift. Okay. It wasn't, they weren't pivoting because they were a black owned brand, but your point is they there was less available to them economically to survive that kind of a a, a lapse in sales yes. or whatever. Okay. okay. Yeah, Black-owned brands were hit hard. They were hit hard and they don't have the investors, the stockholders, the resources, the family generational wealth to just, mm. you know, figure it out later. Sure, sure. What did you do to help navigate that as a publicist when somebody's working and I'm going to call you as a as a director of communications like for all the reasons yes. we just said <laughs> because it when somebody's dealing with that sort of dire need oftentimes at least when I was back in the day when I was in that sort of marketing PR space um we were the first to go we were the first to to, to, you know, fall off the, the payroll. Um, how did you navigate? They need you more than ever in a time like that so their brand can make it through this time, even if their bottom line can't. And yet, how can they? Aff- and you're, you know, tangled in all that is your real intimate knowledge of how hard it is for these brands. How did you navigate that? So we, we did have a couple clients who came and was like, mm, I don't think we'll be able to afford, you know, to pay you next month. One of the things I've been lucky is that I have a full time job doing public relations for a government company. So I had that cushion, 
that it was more so instead of being like, okay, sorry, can't pay my invoice. Just having the heart to know that we've all put so much into these brands that I was able to be like, you know what, we'll talk about pay later. Hmm. Let's sit down, let's have a plan. I, um, I feel hmm. like I've been doing like 30 day plans <laughs> for the last six months because every after COVID, there was like other stuff kept happening. Yeah. And we kept pivot and pivot and pivot. So we were just taking plans and making smaller goals to reach and focus on how we can get as much press coverage. But then also is where's our audience? How are they feeling right now? Are they overwhelmed? Did they get hit by COVID? Would that affect their buying power? Uh, We was really paying attention to a lot of that. Uh, And there again, more than just a publicist, right? Yes. (laughs) When you think of people who are well, first of all, the kind of clients you serve right now, aside from being Black-owned, is there any through line that they have? Are they all in fashion? Are they all in, you know, lifestyle? Wow, so range. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we have fashion. We just finished in the middle of COVID. Actually, it was one of our success stories. We had a restaurant that had a hard time the last few years, and then they decided to come back during COVID. And I was like, "Oh, you're this is this is daring, but it's been a hit." They we really focused on that whole like, come and get your takeout, come and get your family weekend meal, and we put a spin on that, and it has just soared. Yes, that's awesome. We have a dog brand. She makes homemade dog treats. Uh, organic, all natural. So we have that. And then we also have a couple activists that we work with as well. Okay. So it is quite a range. Is there anything that you're looking for when you're kind of reaching out to clients or is there a type of client you wouldn't take? You know, over the years, our community can be a little tough, especially with teaching them about the importance of marketing and public Mm. relations and how much money can go into it and how much Mm. work has to go into it. And it can be a little hard. So I've gotten a little stricter with my clients and the people who are, are you all in? Mm -hmm. Having an issue when I first started with people who was just like, oh, it's not working. I'm done. And you're like, what? Right. (laughs) Because it's a long game. It's it's a long game. Yeah. So I've like redone like the questions that I send. And it's like, hey, what is what is that one thing that will break you? Wow. To know that. What is that one thing that will break you? What is that one thing that will make you be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to. So it teaches me who's in it because they found a hobby that they think they may love or because they found something they feel they have purpose in, a passion in, and they want to make a difference. So I'm pretty open. I love, I'm, I'm a creative. Like I, I tell people that I'm a creative before I'm a publicist. You bring me a good project. I can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I and I, say no. I love that you qualify people by asking them that, what, what would break this? What would break you? And, you know, this, this relationship, what is the thing that you're really going toward? Do you need to do this? Is this part of kind of who you are? And I think often people who are taking on clients need to really qualify 
who they're taking on. In the early years, we say yes to everybody, right? But at yes. some point, you, you're able to make those distinctions and really focus on the people that you want to serve so that you can serve them well, so that you know yeah. you can really be intentional about all of the, the clients that are in your portfolio. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And you revealed earlier, uh, a second ago, that you have a full-time job. I don't want to call this a side hustle for you because we know how much work goes into it. But did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And so you thought, okay, even though I have a full-time gig, I'm going to start this as well? Well, it's so funny. I am taking an women entrepreneurship class with eCornell and Bank of America. And that was the question about like your childhood and being an entrepreneur and growing up, I had no idea what it meant to meant to like start a business, be an entrepreneur. We didn't at our in my community yeah. work. You know, you make forty thousand a year and you work. I didn't get introduced into that until college. And I was like, Oh, they have their own business. Like how does that that is how does that even work? Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that you go work for someone. You go and you move up in a company. But after trying to do merchandising and applying for PR agencies, and I tell this story because it's a true story and it happens. A lot of times I wasn't getting jobs because of my name. I changed my name to Nicole on my resume just to get callbacks. And it's funny to see people's face. When Nicole walks in the room, because, <laughs> you know, you, you you see Nicole and you're like, oh, and then this black girl walks into the room. I had to take Lakeithia off of my resume. And dealing with that over the years and realizing that I wasn't finding a job. And I remember asking a company I was working for doing merchandising and I kept asking them, how do I grow? How do I grow into the corporate where I'm like helping putting together the commercials that you see on TV and fashion and stuff? And I would never get a good answer. They weren't really interested. And I was just like, I don't want to work for these people. So I just set out and somebody asked wow. me to do something. And I said, yes. <laughs> I, I said yes to booking talent, to planning fashion shows, to styling people. I was writing sales copies and... Oh my gosh, I did a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. I I knew that I wanted to be on my own because that's where I felt safe. I didn't have to be someone else. I didn't have to get questioned about my hair or my name. And also it was starting to bother me being called Nicole. At yeah, work. it was. <laughs> it should. Wow, that's your name is Lakeithia. It sure is. That's a that's heartbreaking to hear. What's even more heartbreaking is I don't think yours is the only story like that. And we've no. heard many of them. Uh, I was listening to, uh, I'm not going to say her name because I think I, I'm not going to get it right, but someone else who was on another person's podcast and she talked also about changing her name because she didn't feel like she was getting looked at for jobs. Same story. And I thought, oh, that's horrible. And then I'm hearing you say it again and it's part of why we're having this conversation right now. So thank you for telling telling your story, sharing your truth. I think it's important. In learning that there was such a thing as entrepreneurship, in learning that you did feel safe or safer creating your own future, I don't think that's unique to you. I think a lot of women actually 
have become entrepreneurs because of that. You know, they left whatever their job was. Maybe they paused to have kids and then they go back and they're like, I don't, I don't, I've missed so much. I think I'll just start my own little thing on the side because that's where I can feel in control. And then sometimes entrepreneurship is not for them. And sometimes they realize, man, I can do it. I actually really like this. And it sounds like that's part of what happened to you. Like, I can do it. I can do this. And people need me. People need the service that I have to provide. Can you imagine yourself working full time for yourself? Yes. And that's something It's so crazy. My boss is amazing uh, woman. She's I'm 34. She's like 30. 233 maybe. Wow. And we were just talking about that because she's very supportive. So and it also kind of goes back to I was freelancing as I was trying to figure out how to get the business off the ground. And I start teaching for this program that I work for. Yeah. And I love it. I love lifelong learning. And it's more so about the communities that it serves, which is the underserving minorities. And mm. it also I mean, it serves all of Nashville. But when they brought me in, that's what they were looking for. Someone in PR communications to help them get to those other communities that they weren't reaching. And I'm like, that's perfect for me because I don't know how to say no. I'm learning that. <laughs> um, it, it's a learned thing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely learned it. But we were just talking about that because I was like, you know, this upcoming year is, is more so of my year of transitioning back out. But in a better mind frame, I am... I've learned so much about myself in business and how to operate business better. Mm. Um, and I've had some things that didn't work out, but I keep going and I feel like I'm ready now to be back out full time. So yeah. I'm excited for what that looks like. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited to, to see what that is for you too. And I'm ready to, to watch it unfold. And I think, you know, the fact that you said there are some things that didn't work out. Well, welcome to running your own business. I mean, there, there will be lots more <laughs> that don't work out. And that's part, of, that's part of how you learn. And that's part of how we distinguish what we want to do from what we don't want to do. And, you know, how much time do you have? I'll tell you every misstep I made and, and everything <laughs> that I screwed up and everything that I've learned from. It's actually one of the most exciting things about being an entrepreneur is that there is the ability to make the permission to make those mistakes. It's going to happen. As so many have pivoted during this pandemic, we too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network. Join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups, create and share your profile with the whole community, and access a brain trust of entrepreneurial women, all for free. To join the conversation, head to libertyforher.com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. And click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says, Join the Liberty Network. let's pick your brain a little bit because we've got you here and I want to take advantage of all the goodness that you've got to share on all things communications. But 
really specifically, I want to dig deep into what you've brought up relative to the Black-owned brands that you're working with. So the pandemic and this racial reckoning has been difficult, to say the least. And you've mentioned how your clients have navigated the storm. What is the thing that going into 2021, you are even more aware of as a result of 2020? Oof. Wow. That is a really good question. I think one of the biggest things is the relationship with the audience Mm. that we serve. And I think because one of the things that we saw when all of this stuff started happening was how much our audience is pushing for change. Mm. And, you know, one thing I tell people is that we have seen this, we've seen police brutality, we've seen these racial issues a lot. And somebody asked me recently, she was like, what was different this time? And I was like, it was the audience. The more and more our audiences start to realize that they have complete access to us, that's what changed. It was the audiences on social media that were demanding more, that was, you know, pushing for the brands to speak out. And I think our relationship with our audience directly, even with me, I, I feel like I'm a middleman, right? I'm the middleman mm-hmm. between us and the, and the press for our clients. But one of the things we've been teaching them is like, go directly to your audience, pay attention to what they care about, what they need. Are we, you know, there are certain things where we were, we started to realize, especially in our fashion and beauty was like, do they, did they really need eight items or something? And that's something the audience is learning too. Now that they've had to make choices about finances, like, am I overbuying? Do I really need all of this stuff from this, this Mm -hmm. brand? And that's something we're looking at. It's like, what is their audience truly need from us? How much of it do they need from us? And how can we directly connect to make sure that they know that we are the brand that's serving them in different ways, not just for us to, you know, make sales from them, but can they count on us when they need us the most? Mm, We look through that, you know, during that time. Let me ask you a question about that. I recently read an article. I'm not going to share the names online. I can share them with you personally later. But it was a white woman-owned business, relatively small, who partnered with a woman of color who was a more of a startup business. And the woman of color who owned this particular brand was very excited that there, this collaboration was going to exist. It was going to allow her to get on the map. It was going to allow her to sell a ton more product. So there was a bottom line opportunity here. She respected the white woman as a business owner. I don't know how intimately she knew her, but she respected her and they had had sort of a, a long running uh, business relationship. And in the midst of their collaboration, something went wrong with the the physical product that was created in the collaboration and it had to get recalled. And then part of the backlash against the white woman was that she was using the woman of color's brand in a collaboration just to elevate herself. And so then uh, the woman of color pulled out of that collaboration and she talked about 
how difficult that was. She she didn't actually confirm that she believed that's what the white woman was doing, but she did say it did cause her to pause and wonder if she was being taken advantage of. And that it was really hard. She said, the CEO part of me realizes I missed out on a lot of money and a lot of opportunity. And I need those collaborations and those opportunities to reach out to an audience. This is where what you were just talking about comes in, the access we give to the audience and then their ability to really use their dollars to vote for what kind of brands they want to support. She said, I I missed out on, on an opportunity to get in front of a lot of those brands. When you hear that story, I'm sure that's not an unfamiliar one. How do you respond to that? And how do you advise in your communications capacity coming alongside these businesses? How do you advise them to collaborate, to work with influencers, to work, to put out a story uh, for a, you know, a blogger or a newspaper or a magazine that may be taking advantage unbeknownst to them or outright, maybe taking advantage of this time. I could be accused of that. Answer that and then I'll follow up because I have another question. <laughs> that is that is a very interesting one because I feel like so many of us dealt with that during 2020 where we had, you know, I, I had an influencer who has done work with a brand and the brand never post her or the other influencers. And the day everyone was posting their like Black Lives Matter, this was the, they sent the brand photos from their photo shoot that they paid for. The brands, you know, they don't like to pay Black influencers, sent them pictures back in April. They never posted the pictures. And then all of a sudden the pictures appeared in like July as they're like, we care about Black lives. And it just feels so ungenuine. And it, it hurts. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things is that it does hurt. And I think one of the things I found through that process is really communicating with the people who want to collab with you and understanding what their purpose for mm. it is. Because we did see a lot of people who just wanted to elevate their their businesses and their brands and to look like, oh, I'm for Black Lives Matter. I haven't done this. So now I'm going to extend my, you know, it's one of the things people from our community kept saying, it was like, it feels so performative yeah. that all of a sudden now you want to extend your platform. All of a sudden now you want to collaborate and make products together. All of a sudden now you want us in your photo shoots and it feels very performative. And I, and I think one of the biggest things we've had to do and I've you know encouraged clients is to talk to people, get on Zoom, get on a phone call and really talk to them and see what their goal is. But also, I think the biggest question I found when we go through something like that is, what is your goal after this collaboration? Is this collaboration for a just for the moment to show that you're, you, you're Black Lives Matter for just for the moment? But what are right. your plans afterwards? And I think when people present a more, you know, diverse marketing and PR plan, I can tell that they're trying to really make a difference. Right. That's a great question. A great question for you to ask in your position, but I think for us to ask ourselves. When we think of those, I don't want to call them opportunities. When we think of, wait a minute, they are opportunities for us to change how we've been doing business. 
they're not opportunities for social media or publicity to our brand. So I'll be honest here and say that when all of this came, I I don't view myself as somebody who is naive to what was going on racially, but there's no way I can honestly say I understood the depth to which there was wounding and continued wounding and hurt and pain and generational pain. That became for me, I went into lesson mode. I was watching everything and listening to everything and I don't want, I don't want any credit for that. We should have been doing that all along. I'm just telling that so I can ask, ask this question, giving you some context. And then the thought for me was, okay, how do I change the narrative in my little corner of the world with my podcast, with our Liberty membership, with our, our network? Um, how do I look, look at that and say, do we re- represent and reflect all the women that I want to serve? And we never said no to a black woman that came our way. But we never, I never intentionally went out and made space for them. And then hearing so many people talk about, well, you better not, don't do anything that you, you know, that you're going to get in trouble for. And I thought, well, now we're silencing ourselves. I, I can't prove my motives. I can only tell my own truth. And I like that you, you say to your brands, pursue them and ask them what their intentions are. And when they can reflect to you something that's meaningful, then yeah, do a collaboration for them. Otherwise, if we keep saying no to each other or some of us are frozen out of fear, what progress are we making? Am I, I I want you to tell me if I'm saying this correctly. I don't want to convince you or any listener. I want to understand. Is that, what would you say to that? I'll ask. Yeah, I think that is exactly what I would say. I think what people forget is that I could not walk in your shoes and you can't walk in mine either. And even when Mm. there was something said about that generational hurt, you know, I talked to my grandmother who's 83, you know, and she talks about the things that she's seen and she's gone through that we're going through today. So it is that generational stuff of like, wow, this is, 83 years old, you know, and she's, it's just, it's the same thing. So there is a lot of hurt, a lot of anger, but I think the best thing is communication Mm. and we don't have enough of it because we spend so many times, so much time thinking we know it all, you know, instead of communicating with each other and also listening. I think listening is the the best thing. It's like, listen to what, where, what I'm saying and where I'm coming from, and then we can help each other. Um, I think one of the biggest things we found was I've I've had to turn down a lot of opportunities where I talk to people and they want me to come speak mm-hmm. about this. And I've had to turn it down because they wanted me more so to make their audience comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm very friendly. I'm super friendly. I talk to everybody. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> I, love, I love talking. I love talking to people. And I think people, you know, one thing I told my mentor, I think people were like, oh, Lakithi is really nice. She's not going to be straightforward, (laughs) you know, in your face. This is what you're doing wrong. And I think sometimes people expect that. And I've had incidents where they're like, 
oh, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, it's the truth. <laughs> you want the truth? You want to listen? Or do we want to keep sugarcoating things and continue to be here year after year? So I think listening, and I think one of the things that you really said was making space. Mm. Making space is so important because one thing that me and Priscilla spoke about was how white has always been the, when it comes to um, the standard of everything, mm. expert voices, you know, in the, in the in different industries, they've always been that. And a lot of times people don't make space for women, especially black women to come in and be an expert. A lot of times when we do get invited to speak, it's about hurt, but it's not about like, I love that you talked about communications and stuff first. I love that you opened with that because that is my field. And that's, that's what I do every day versus being hurt every day, Mm. (laughs) you know? And I think, I think that's, you know, so important. It's like, making space for women and black women in these groups and in these networks to come in and feel comfortable enough to be who they are, their full self and to be experts in their field. Mm. It's important. So that, that making space, I I absolutely love that. I I just, I want to, sorry to interrupt. I want to just shout out, you mentioned Priscilla and Priscilla for those listening is Priscilla Vega, who um, has actually, uh, she's actually spoken to our, our network and she is uh, a friend of mine and a fellow publicist of Lakeithia's and how Lakeithia and I actually connected. So yeah, giving her a little shout out. I apologize. You were about to say something. No, (laughs) no, no. um, One of the things too is just the making space and also learning how to reach out. Like, you know, who do I reach out to, to invite? And one of the topics I spoke about at a at National Design Week was that a lot of times we come into these spaces and I actually used the example of, I went to a church, um, I used to be in a church three years ago and I was meeting people in their late 20s, 30s, and 40s, and I was shocked to find that I was their first Black friend. And a lot of times... Where, 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 is this in Nashville? It's in Nashville. Okay, okay. And a lot of times in these groups, it's the same thing. You walk in these groups and these people who barely hang... And I always tell people, look at your inner circle. Look at your inner circle. You know, these people barely ever been around or been friends with people, not just Black people, but just people from different cultures and races. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's like, oh no, I'm going to stay here because this is who I'm comfortable with. I'll speak to you, say hi, and keep it going. So we have to learn how to do life with each other. Yeah. Once we learn how to do life with each other, we learn how to do business with each other. Mm. Amen. Oh, that's a good one. We're going to, we'll hashtag that. We'll post that. <laughs> We're going to be all over that one. So we talked a little bit about the the pain of pivoting for a lot of the brands that you've worked with. We've talked about how that the impact was economic for many. And then there was, you know, people even saying to you, oh, this, you should be doing well right now. There's opportunity here. Was there any opportunity? I know you said it, it, there wasn't, but you were really addressing the economic thing. What about, was there any piece of you who said, well, can we take advantage of this? Or were you like, I'm out. I don't want to touch this. I'm going to let the dust settle. I was speaking with a couple of our, um, 
minority publicists and people were talking about like, oh, you got to be really getting a lot of PR requests right now. And I was like, well, not really, because all the magazines did was add in their 100 list of black brands and said, oh, we did enough. And you think about it, right? We all read magazines. I'm pretty sure you read magazines. I do. And after the first five slides, you're like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Who goes through all of those? And I just thought it was lazy. Sorry, I can Mm. be a little sometimes. It was lazy. Um, and no, that's please what, be honest. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the publications did. They just grouped 50 and 100 lists of black owned brands. And um, even some of our local papers, you know, they've had their list of black owned. And I'm like, where's the breaking? You remember, like, I used to, I grew up off of Vogue, and this is where they broke brands you know you get on there you find the latest brands they got to come in and do photo shoots with celebrities and the biggest stylists and no. where's that <laughs> just they did their list they you know combat combined their list and that was pretty much it people had posted their list on social media that said hey buy from these brands and that was it um we had boutiques and stuff were saying that like go shop with this brand. And it was it. And we joke now and they're like, oh, everyone's gone back to life. <laughs> everyone's gone back. So the opportunities weren't there. And I think one of the biggest things that I'm hoping my agency can jump in, in is um, even when you think about like what Target is doing far as like, oh, they're going to. Yeah. We're going to talk get- about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always excited about that one. But like they're going to, you know, 15%, you know, they're going to start doing. And I think Ulta said that as well. One of the biggest issues is that it is still very hard for people who are outside of New York and California to get those opportunities. And I've been trying to email everybody. Hey, how can I get urban brands or like communities or people from inner cities that have amazing brands? What do I need to do? Who can I contact? So I haven't been able to find. So maybe hopefully someone's listening to this. I, I want to know how do we get this amazing talent? How do we get them into these stores? Because they'll go get a celebrity brand and say, hey, look, we're now we carrying 15 celebrity brands and we're good to go. And there's so much talent out there. Okay, let's you and I talk offline. I I don't know that this, I have somebody that can help you, but I have somebody who knows somebody that might be able to help you. So let's talk that later. Amazing. But um, <laughs> I, let's talk about the, the target uh, thing really quickly. So there's two things I want to address. One is the 15% and that campaign was, I think when we first saw the campaign launch, it was with uh, the shoe brand in New York. Uh, it's escaping me right now. I'm going to think of it in one second. Aurora, what? I can't, I'm going to think of it in one second. We've shouted them out so many times. She's, but she started with the hashtag of that campaign. And then the, the other thing is Target specifically had come out with, uh, or was going to come out with a moniker, a sticker that they would put on black owned brands so that in the, in the hopes that people would see that and choose that brand perhaps over another. So first, let's address the 15%. Is the 15% a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I still don't understand why we are limited to a number when it's kind of the same thing that we talked about previously. Why are your buyers not going out seeking? 
minority yeah. brands, not yeah. just black brands, but minority brands. Why are we still at this place where it's like, oh, I just realized that we aren't carrying a many minority brands. We shouldn't be stuck to a number. I, I don't think I, that is just my personal opinion is that we should for a brand like Target and all these other big brands that also has signed on. I think that they've done a disservice to their brand for not going out and doing more research. Say that brand. one more time. Who's done the disservice? Like Target oh, or okay. any brands. Yeah, I think I don't because I, I guess when I think about a person who's a buyer and stuff and they're going out, they're searching brands to bring in. I'm like, where are you searching? <laughs> because the brands that they are bringing to the forefront, you believe shouldn't be there or not all of them should be there? I think they I think there's room for everyone. I yeah. think Target is a big store. I think um, one of the things I love about like places like I noticed in like Green Hills in Nashville and Burks and stuff like that is where you'll go and you'll be like, this Burks is definitely for Green Hills people in Nashville, right? Because they have a style that you like, that is definitely Green Hills people. But then you go in other parts of town and you notice that the style and the products are different. And I right. think they have room for everyone to be there. I think that they should be having more meetings with minority brands, though. I think that minority brands should already be there. Okay, that's that's helpful. And just again, to be clear, the 15% pledge is 15% of shelf space be occupied by Black-owned brands. And Elizabeth, thank you. She just sent me um, in the chat. It's Aurora James was the founder of yes. the brand. Uh, Brother, Brother Vellis, I believe is how you say that. And it seems like a lot of people sort of jumped on that and felt like, that seems fair. That seems appropriate. That seems like an easy enough thing to do. Now, let me pivot. And, and I think you're right. I think calling people to task who are buyers to say, please do your homework and don't just get, you know, okay, I've, I've, I've got the 15% that are black owned and I can move on. There's more homework to be done like they would do with any brand that lands on a shelf. And regional specificity is important too, to your point about, the, I don't know what Green Hills is all about, but it sounds like it's a, <laughs> it's a more distinct population that when you go to that store, it matches the, the demographics and the psychographics of the people that are around them. Now, right. when you and I chatted about the the target moniker, though, I I thought like this is a good thing. Like, and if I'm holding two brands in my hand, and I'm choosing between them, and one has the black owned sticker, then I get to vote with my dollar. This is awesome. And you said it's not awesome. So explain why you don't think it's a good idea. So let me. And one thing I thought about too was that it would have been awesome. When everyone was doing this whole be like, oh, Black Lives Matter, let's support like that, like month or so. Great. Awesome. But long term, the issue is that black products, all of that has never been the standard. Mm. So when people walk up to a black owned brand or even just a black store or anything, they're like, I can't use this. It's a Black-owned brand, so that's, it has to be for Black people. And I say that just from talking to clients who actually sell products. And the number one question they get from um, people who are not Black is, can I use that? Yeah. And because they feel like it's not, our products have never been standard. 
you know, when it comes to beauty products, majority that we're going to be using are, you know, from white owned brands. So when it comes to putting those stickers on there, I think it's great. I think it's, you know, people who want to support black owned is going to support. Right. I think that's is awesome. I think long term it's going to also have people who are more so like, oh, I can't use this. This is for black owned brands. And then also think about it in that way of like they buy it. What are they going to do with it? If you think that a black owned brand isn't for you and you're just buying it just to show your support in dollars. But are you actually using the product? Mm. Are you actually going to your social media like you normally do and say, hey, I found this great brand. We mm. should all try it. You know, these they're not. And we've seen it. We've seen it where people bought from these brands, these black owned brands. And so many of them wasn't showcasing it. They wasn't. They were just, oh, oh, my, I bought this black owned brand. I'm gonna give it to my black friend. Mm. You know, so that's that is where I come from is is separating. And I don't believe in separating. I believe that we should be able to. And this is the thing that I told Priscilla. We use Korean brands without even understanding what's on the back of the package. <laughs> right. And, you know, we, we don't understand. We don't understand anything about the back of the package, but it's it will be great to be able to walk in and choose a brand, not just because it's black owned. Because mm. you know it's a good brand. And yeah. we have to start that conversation. We have to start making Black-owned brand be also the standard. Do you think it's okay, and I'm truly asking, I'm not leading, that we have the Black-owned sticker so that we can get some economic power in the hands of those businesses in the short term, but that's not the long game? That we have a different plan for the long game? I definitely think we need a different plan for the long game. I think if you're going to do it for the short term and economically, I think it's a wonderful thing. I've seen so many brands um, sell out of products that I'm so happy for. I've been watching it for the last few weeks through Black Friday and everything. I would love to see the bigger platforms like Target use their platforms to educate people. Mm. You know, so not just put, if you're going to put the stick on there, great, but can we get some fun videos about the products, what's in it? I, w- I would love for people to be educated about how good it is, what's I, in it. Yeah. I think that could be a good short-term goal, but I think a long-term is kind of where we are now, where majority of the brands are like, started off good and then people went on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's an important distinction, and I'm glad that thank you for talking about it again with me. I really wanted our audience to hear it because I think those are the sorts of things that we can miss. I also think that you just educated a lot of people who may not purchase some of those items thinking, oh, I did think that was for black skin or black hair or black whatever. I now will pay more close attention. And in fairness, there are those brands. I'm I was living in Brooklyn back in the day when Lisa Price started her company and that was for coarse hair. Now I have my hair is somewhere in the middle and so I'm I have Egyptian hair um and I got to work to blow dry it out, but <laughs> and I remember trying some of her products because that's what was available. But to your point, 
not all black owned brands are that and we need to we need to make sure that there's room for that as well. So I really appreciate your distinction. Okay. Is there any piece of advice that you'd love to leave with our audience about entrepreneurship or about this particular conversation we're having about how do we kind of pivot forward, if you will? How do we go into 2021 with a mind for all the things that you've said and really understanding what it means to be an ally in our actions, with our dollars, anything you want to, any parting words you want to leave with us? Yeah, I think for the entrepreneur, oh my gosh, you know what? I will say to be curious. Hmm. I always say I'm, I'm very curious about everything. And I think that is what helps us grow. That is what helps us find our purpose and be curious and be open to change. That's one of the biggest conversations I talk to people about because you start in one area and you think, I have to stay here. And sometimes you start in a career or you start your entrepreneur journey and then you're like, ooh, I'm not quite sure, but I'm kind of interested. Stay curious. That's how you continue to grow and be open to change. You know, sometimes in order for entrepreneurship to work for you, you have to be open to what change looks like. Mm. And, and I'm pretty sure any industry, there's a lot of change, um, yes. especially coming in 2021. So be curious and be open to change. And then I think far as just pivoting and and just race relations and, and that, I, I would say open the lines of communication talk to each other and find what people need. And I always tell people, you know, I, I know we have so many listeners everywhere. Start local. Look at your local, you know, businesses, no matter what business you're in, you can be a service provider, you can have a product, but look at your local groups and your local businesses and say, how can we connect with each other? How can we genuinely work to grow? And I think that's also the biggest thing for women. We're yeah. so ought to be competitors and that it's it's sometimes scary because you're like I don't want to give this information away or I don't want to you know share my context and I will say this past year I've had some incredible women step up and say okay what do you need because I know that you love what you do how can I help and that has been that's just it's just I'm sometimes I'm just out of words I'm, I'm grateful for that so Opening that line of communication and, and looking around you locally. If you have a boutique, look at minorities and say, hey, who's creating really great things that I can also bring in? Mm. Who can I invite to the next dinner and make sure they're comfortable? Who can I ask these questions to? I think even finding someone that you're comfortable with that you can say, okay, here are my ideas. Do you feel like they're performative or do you feel that this is something that can really help? And I think that's one of the, you know, best things, communication, communication and paying attention to the groups around you. You, my dear, are in the, li the right line of work. You are a master communicator. Thank you for opening up the lines of communication here and with our listener and just bringing so much light to a subject that for many is complicated and layered and confusing. 
And I hope people will be invited. I know they will. They'll be invited to to pay attention to the things you've said. But I'm not letting you off the hook yet. We've got our fast <laughs> our fast five. So I'm going to ask you five questions and just whatever comes to mind. Uh, give me that okay. answer. So, what do you think the number one trait an entrepreneur should possess is? Oh, oh, the number one trait. I will say not quitting. Not quitting. I like it. And you also said, you gave us two because you said curious at top, which I think is a good one too. Yes. Um, yeah, I was going to say it again. <laughs> I, I heard uh, recently, it was a quote, I think, so I actually read it, but it was the the number one difference between successful entrepreneurs and not successful entrepreneurs is they didn't quit. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's That is true. It's a good one. So, anyway. <laughs> what is the number one app you use for business? Something you use on a regular Slack. basis? Slack. Slack. I've been getting into Slack. Okay. Okay. I'll call you for a lesson. Um, and then what um, was the first task that you hired out when you finally had a little money that you could spend on your business? Graphic design. Yeah. <laughs> that That is a good one. Many people would say PR, so we yes. should be keeping busy. And then this one is a, is a new question we're asking. Do you prefer red vines or Twizzlers? Definitely Swizzlers. Oh my gosh. Okay. I still love you. And then um, we named our business Liberty. This podcast is Liberty because we wanted to share female founders' stories to liberate women to create their own stories. What does it mean to you? What does Liberty mean to you? Liberty to me is freedom. Mm. It's just to be free without any rules, boundaries. It's, It's literally to be free. A good, it's a good answer and a great way to end our time together. Lakeithia, thank you for being with us. I so appreciate it. Thank you for running back from one job only to get on a podcast <laughs> with us. It means a lot. And what you've shared, I think, I know is going to mean so much to so many of our listeners. Thank you for telling your own stories and being honest about those. And thank you for pushing us to view things a little bit differently and hold some of our ideals up to the light to to examine them. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. I love, I always love talking to people. <laughs> oh, you're good at it. You're really good at it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Liberty listeners, everything Lakeithia shared and all of her handles and website will be at libertyforher.com. So head on over there to check it all out. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.